Please pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you've heard many scriptures read, and I'm going to read a couple more. The first is found in John's Gospel, and it's also a, uh, an account of Jesus and his death. It's uh, chapter 19 that I'm reading from, and I'm reading from verse 28 through verse 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Second scripture is found in 1 Corinthians. It's uh, in chapter 15, and I'll be reading verses 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Or, I'm sorry, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dying is something that is a very personal an individual matter. It's something that occurs alone. Even when people die in mass in a large group, they depart from this life uh, as individuals, one by one. There are two ways, generally, that we think of when we think of people uh, dying alone. Uh, one uh, is because a person has lived entirely for himself. When that person departs, there's no one there beside that person who really uh, is there to mourn that passing of that person. The other way, of course, is to just be left to yourself and die alone. Um, what we see in Scripture is um, the Lord himself died in a in a way that uh, embodies the second of those two ways of dying alone. He was betrayed. Um, those who were closest to him were that there for him at the hour of his uh, need. Nevertheless, even if they had been there and he had departed, he would have died alone because, again, death is something that each one of us uh, will 
barring the return of the Lord before we die, be something that is uh, very real and personal and individual and something that we, you and I, will experience. We live in a day, though, where there is an epidemic of loneliness. There's a kind of death before death that many people are experiencing. A few years back, there was a sociologist who wrote a book about this phenomenon entitled Bowling Alone, a social activity, an activity that was intended to bring people together, was now a pastime for people who are more or less on their own. And uh, we see actually in our society today um, more and more of this, and its effect upon the people who are experiencing this loneliness is a shortening of life. Uh, It's been uh, noted that for the first time in the last, I think it's, well, since this sort of thing has been recorded, uh, lifespan, at least in the Western world, in the United States, particularly among men, is actually shrinking. So men, very often, are leaving the world alone and uh, despairing. And as I noted, um, there is this reality that Jesus has passed through death as a solitary, isolated individual. And his intent coming into the world was to die. He did live his life in the shadow of death. That was what he had uh, come to do. Of course, that wasn't the whole story. There was something that would come later, and we'll celebrate that in a couple of days. But before that event could occur, he had to pass through death. And so, as I noted, he lived in the shadow of death. And that's something that we all do. I don't think we think about it. It's not necessarily a conscious thing. But every moment of our lives is overshadowed by the fact that we know at the very end of our lives, death awaits us. And that's why even young people feel a kind of urgency. I've talked to many young men who are maybe 22 years old and they already feel like their life has passed before their eyes and they've wasted all their time. And as a man of 60 years old, I'm Hold on, bud, you got plenty of time. <laughs> I was hardly started at your age. But there is a sense of urgency that many young men feel, and I think anyone feels, because there's a sense in which when time passes, it uh, doesn't return. We've seen it go, and it's not coming back. This is also why, because of the painful sense that we have that our lives are mortal, that we fill our time with distractions. So paradoxically, we have an urgency to make a difference or to do what we're going to do, and at the same time, we waste our time very much on purpose to distract ourselves from the fact that we're wasting our time. Philosophers have reflected on this for centuries. If you read philosophers like Pascal or Schopenhauer, it's uh, pretty depressing to sort of enter into their reflections upon this very thing. Furthermore, we're all afraid. I think for every fear that we experience, it's actually a fear of death that we uh, are recoiling from, not strictly or simply a uh, fear of the particular event that we see that uh, will cause us pain, 
but in some sense, the evils that we experience in life, and I'm not thinking about necessarily moral evils, but just the vicissitudes of life, the hardships of life, the disappointments of life, they're, in all, they're all in some sense a foreshadowing of death. So all of this uh, is, uh, sub- we, f- or we, f- we, we are subject to throughout the course of our lives. And although we study the body and seek to heal it, we still are uh, really unable to uh, fully understand the nature of death. It's more than simply a medical problem. It's more than simply an engineering problem, as much as some people would like to reduce it to that. We're told in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the sting of death is sin. What we're given is an image that I think takes a moment to adjust our minds to, and that image is that death itself is a kind of wasp with a sting, a sting that strikes and kills. And the power of that sting, we're told, is the law. Let me read the passage for you again to reinforce what I'm saying. Uh, here, the Apostle Paul, reveling in the thought of the resurrection, in verse 54, follows it by the statements that I've just been alluding to. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Now, the law, of course, is good. The law reflects the holiness of God. The reason why it's the power of death for us is because we're not good and we're not holy. And only that which is holy and good can dwell with God eternally. Consequently, we're under the curse of death because we're sinners. But Jesus died for us. And when he said it is finished, he wasn't just simply talking about his departure from the world, the expiration of his life, the the yielding up of his spirit. He was talking about the satisfaction of the conditions or the curse, the conditions for the curse that we're all under. Through his life, he disarmed the law by fulfilling it. He lived by the law and satisfied the demands of the law, not merely for himself, but for you and me. And then, not only did he do that, he went on to suffer the condemnation of the law, even though he did not deserve to die, because he was here to die for you and me. And so he fulfilled the law through his act of obedience, but also through his passive obedience. That's the way we often put it in our circles. And he says to us that he is the way. tells us that in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says that after he says that he's going to prepare a place for you and me. And he tells us in those verses that if he goes to prepare a place for you and me, he will return for us. And for that reason... People who believe in Christ don't die alone. 
he will be there with you and with me. If we don't find ourselves with him in the air, we'll find him coming to us at that moment to take us to be with himself. Christians don't die alone. Christians have someone to go through death with, someone who's gone ahead and died for them and who will be with us to take us to be with them eternally. As I said, we don't die alone. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die for us, but also to live for us and to live again for us. Help us, Lord, to be grateful for this marvelous gift, this mystery that we find in the gospel. Foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block for Jews, but the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen.